1: in a clear and understandable way because money is a tool and when you understand the language of money you can make better decisions to improve your financial life hey james hey scott
0: welcome to another week all right we're doing it let's go another week down another question Mm -hmm. thank you for your questions if you have one please submit it we'd love helping you guys the best we can and if you found this information helpful please leave a review so we can help more people
1: yeah, and when we you know leave a review, even just tap in five stars. Yeah. We like that. Just more people look for podcasts. They want to see what has more reviews, what has more five-star reviews, and we really appreciate all of you who have done that. It's helped more people to find the show, such as Alyssa, who this question is from. Yeah. She starts by saying, Hey, guys, I recently found your podcast and think it's fantastic. Thanks, Alyssa. Thank you. Probably from some of the reviews, I hope. So leave reviews. That helps us a lot. And we get to hear all of your great questions and hopefully add some value. Alyssa says, hey, guys, I recently found your podcast and I think it's fantastic. I've been catching up on old episodes and absorbing as much as I can. I'm a manager at a blue chip company and they offer up to 20% of their stock in your 401k. Right now, I have 8% of my 401k invested in company stock with the rest in a target date fund. I'm wondering your thoughts on if 8% is too much or too little. I have another IRA with good mutual funds and a personal brokerage account where I pick my own stocks. Just wanted to add that in so you didn't think that this 401k is my only saving for retirement. Thank you so much. Mm. All right. Well, thank you, Alyssa, for that question. Yeah, good question. I definitely have some thoughts.
0: Yeah, kind of gets down to... Some, the first thing that comes to mind for me is what we would call concentration risk. Mm-hmm. So I think we could talk about that a little bit today.
1: Yeah, and whether this is something that... Could exist in a 401k. This mm-hmm. is something that could exist in an IRA. It's something that could exist anywhere, really. But the yeah. principles of diversification, concentration, how much is an okay amount to do in different things? What are the risks? Details like that. Exactly. What is concentration risk? What is tell me more about that?
0: Yeah, so let's just dive right into that. So, you know, when we think about concentration risk, that the first thing that does come to mind is exactly that. And the idea is You know It's wonderful that we have a company that offers their stock to us. Now, they may offer it a number of ways. In this instance, for Talisa, it's it's through the 401k. It looks like she's able to make an employee contribution in the 401k. Sometimes you'll find that some companies, their company match might be in company stock too. Mm -hmm. It could be another way that it happens. Or you might get maybe restricted stock units through work or incentive stock options or non-qualified stock options, but we're kind of getting paid in stock in a way, right? Mm -hmm. So whether we're choosing to contribute to it through a 401k or maybe we're getting it in some form of compensation, we can build up a position on our balance sheet that's in our company stock. And concentration risk is basically the question of how much is too much and what are the pros and the cons of being concentrated And I think as you can hear, I'm saying concentration risk, we think that there are some downsides that we wanna be really mindful of.
1: Yeah, and it's one of those tough things because you can make a crazy amount of money being concentrated. Yes. You know, Think back, what if you owned Tesla from the beginning or Amazon from the beginning or Apple from the beginning? Well, your wealth has turned into a lot more wealth. You probably have more money than you know to do with. How do you own those stocks from the very beginning? We all hear those stories and we celebrate those stories and we don't often tell the stories of when the opposite happens, right? of being too concentrated and losing all of your money. And it's because no one likes to tell a story at the time they lost all their money owning a concentrated stock. So right. with that risk, people are very focused on the upside of what this could look like if all my money is in one company, but it's the traditional thing of don't put all your eggs in one basket yeah, because that could also fall apart. Exactly. And so the question is,
0: how much is too much for yeah. concentration risk? And I think the answer is the old, it depends, but yeah. let's chat that through a little bit.
1: Yeah, it does depend and we'll talk about that, but there are some general rules of thumb. Yeah. And that rule of thumb might be 5%, 10%, maybe up to 15%. Yeah. And the reason for that, you know, like look at the S&P 500 right now, which is a diversified mix of the biggest companies in the United States. Mm-hmm. It's gonna own the top 505 companies. Now, if that was your entire net worth, Apple makes up like five, five and a half percent of that, something in that area. So there is more concentration naturally in Apple, just because Apple is the largest of the companies in that index. Mm -hmm. So you might say, look, if it's a company like that, you could probably be on the higher side. If you have the 505th biggest company in the S&P at five or 10%, you're taking on more risk there because it's a smaller company that you are making the deliberate decision to overweight, I would say in that case. So I would say it depends a little bit on the company, but- Interesting perspective. Yeah. You know, somewhere in that neighborhood is a good place to start.
0: Yeah. Agreed. I think that like, you know, what you'll typically hear advisors saying is they'll typically advise you to keep 10% or less ideally in specific company stock. And that really comes down to just ensuring that you are properly diversified. And we'll get into some reasons why that matters. You know, one thing that comes to mind for me is when we're in a company it can be really easy for us to be confident in the company and overconfident in the company almost, yeah. right? Because yep. we know all the inner workings of what's happening and what our competitors are and whether or not we think we're great. Yep. But that's not to say that someone else isn't toiling away in a garage somewhere trying to compete with us.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I almost never talk to someone who has stock in their own company that doesn't think the stock's only going to keep going further. Right, And it's because your company's probably doing wonderful things. Most yeah. companies are, but there's sometimes a disconnect between the things the company is doing and the price of that company's stock. You can very easily pay for... When you're buying a stock, there's a certain level of expectations baked in as to what that company's prospects are going to be. Mm-hmm. And so you can do amazingly well, but if you fall under the market's expectations as to how well that amazing is going to actually be you could still lose money on that stock, even if the company is continuing to grow.
0: Yeah. And I think the confidence of company, of people, the way we feel about that, and actually we might be seeing a bit of a shift in that for this generation of the younger generation of employee, mm-hmm. but, you know, coming up through the 90s into the 2000, the dot-com crash. I think those folks who were employed then got a taste of what a downturn can feel like for concentration risk. Yep. And I think now we're seeing it yet again. We didn't know when it would hit, but it did hit.
1: It hit and it hurts and a lot of people have been hurt. And we were looking at some statistics here where the S&P 500, so the quote unquote market as of this recording, it's down 23% or so. Right. That doesn't mean every single stock in the S&P 500 is down 23%. Right. There are some that are down way more. There's some that are actually up. Right. But on average, the downturn is about 23%. Yes. Now, we looked at another study. This is from JP Morgan and they looked at, not just this year, but they looked at a lot of data going back all the way to nineteen eighty. And they looked at all the stocks in the Russell three thousand. And the Russell three thousand is a more accurate depiction of the total US stock market. Yeah, so that's like
0: a, the three thousand largest companies in the United States, basically. Right. Yeah. So I
1: think it covers ninety-eight most, or ninety-nine. Most of the of all.
0: publicly traded companies in the United States.
1: They're probably gonna be included in that. Exactly. And what they saw was forty percent of all those stocks in the Russell three thousand since nineteen eighty have suffered a permanent 70 plus percent decline from their peak value. I mean that's kind of crazy, right? A permanent yeah. they have 70% not recovered. Anymore. And that sounds hard to believe because the last several years have been so good in the market and specifically among the top names that we all hear. But once you start unpacking all 3,000 of these companies, there's a lot of the companies in the middle or on the small side some of which have gone absolutely gangbusters and grew like crazy and others that have never they declined 70 plus percent and never recovered. Right. That's risky. That's yeah. That's concentration risk. Yeah. I mean, Apple crushed it during that
0: period of time. Kodak went out of business. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. And there's
1: more There's more Kodaks than Apple. There's the Kodaks and the Blackberries and the companies like that. And then there's the companies that we still remember or still hear about, like the Apples and the right. Amazons that have done really well. That's crazy. Two thirds of all the stocks in the Russell 3000 during this time period underperformed the index. So what you're seeing is it's a select few at the top that tend to drive most of the returns. And if you just own the index as a whole, it's kind of like going fishing and casting a wide net versus trying to go out and be super specific and catch the whale. But if you miss the whale, you miss everything. If you just cast a wide net, you're more likely to outperform two-thirds of the time than if you were to try to pick the individual best winner. Yeah. And the best winner is even Monster Energy was the best performing stock from like 2000 to 2020. Mm-hmm. So it's not even like the, the apples and it's not even the Amazons that we think of. It's sometimes these random, I don't want to say no name companies, we all know it, but Papa John's was an incredible stock for super long, like some yes. of the top performers. Domino's was too. Yeah, They just absolutely very small, relatively speaking. Yeah. So that's concentration risk in a nutshell there is you don't want your entire portfolio to be part of the universe of stocks that has a 70% decline and then It's not just your stock declines. wow. how does this impact my retirement? How does this impact my financial future? Those are the challenges that you're going to face.
0: Exactly. And an extreme case of concentration risk, if you want to think of it really quickly with the S&P being down around that 23%, if we just take one tech company that's down a lot this year, Mm -hmm. right? like Netflix is down a lot this year, it's down about 70%. If you were to say at the beginning of the year, 90% of your portfolio is in the S&P 500 and 10% is in... Netflix. Well, then if you didn't change anything, you'd be down around like 27% so far this year. Now, but if I flip those numbers and I say 90% of your money is in Netflix and 10% of your money is in the S&P 500, well then your portfolio would be down like 65%. Yeah. Right. Ouch. Because we put all that risk into one stock. Yeah. So we just want to be really careful.
1: And it's hard to know. And like in retrospect, we can say, oh, well, of course they're oversubscribed and there's other streaming services and it's overvalued. And in hindsight, that's what we say. But a year ago, Peter Malouk, who runs one of the largest RIAs in the country, made a public bet on Twitter with Mark Cuban. Mm-hmm. And he said, look, I'll take the. I don't know if it was the S&P 500 or some, yeah, some index like that. I think like it that. was the S&P 500. And he bet Mark Cuban. He said, choose any two of your stocks. And Mark Cuban said, I choose Amazon and I choose Netflix. And they said, the bet is over the next 10 years, loser pays, I think, a million dollars to the winner. The charity. Charity choice. Yeah. Whatever. So fun bet. And you look at this and you say, oh, wow, Mark Cuban, that's the shark. He knows his stuff. He's a businessman. He's an entrepreneur. If he's betting on these companies versus just a passive unmanaged index, Like, well, of course, these companies have something special to them. Well, both of those stocks, Amazon and Netflix, have been hammered. Mm -hmm. Those are great companies. They they have tons of revenue, tons of employees. Their services are used by practically everyone. It seems like they can still go through a downturn. So even going back to how much is too much, you have to ask yourself the question, how much am I willing to lose potentially? Exactly. Like I'm just going to use a very basic, simple example. If you need $500,000 to be able to retire. And you have $500,000 in diversified investments. Well, any excess above that, technically, you could go all in on something if you wanted to. Yep. It would still be really painful if you lost it all. But I almost look at it from the standpoint of assume those go to zero or get hit really hard. Could you still accomplish your goals? And if not, that concentration is probably too much. We probably need to revisit it.
0: I think that's a great framing. And I think that's where financial planning with investment management together really matters. Because you're really taking what matters most to you, what are the main priorities you're aiming for, and then you go apply some rigor to how am I invested? How's my cash flow working? What are the tax consequences of these changes? And you get to go make decisions that tie back to what matters most to you.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I know you have clients like this, I have clients like this, they own a good amount of concentrated stock. And we say, okay, is your financial plan going to be fine? Even if things don't go the way you want them to go? The answer is yes and sometimes there's bad outcomes but we have the conversations and there's the understanding and it just like the market does not go our way all the time and this has been a year where that's happened for a number of different companies mm-hmm. that have gone hit but that's also why it's important to at least have these conversations to see what's the risk what's the potential return how much is too much and the factors around that that you can control exactly from a standpoint
0: yeah so, like, another way you could think about concentration risk when you're taking it, and it's something that, you know, in the, you might, you know, probably won't hear it too much, but, like, when you're investing in the S&P 500 or the Russell 3000, you're taking what we would call systematic risks. You're taking the risk of the market as a whole going up and down. Yeah. When you invest in individual companies, you're taking what's called unsystematic risk. So, could... You know, legislative, You know, could someone write a new bill that changes what's allowed and not allowed for a company? Could there be new regulatory systems put on top of a company? Are there specific risks to the specific company that would be a problem? Is it an in- for the industry that it's within or it has its own risks of characteristics? When you go invest in the big pool of assets in an index, you really remove the majority of unsystematic risk from the portfolio.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is important because as you mentioned, hey, you have great companies, but there's someone in their garage working on the next thing. And our system is based upon competition, which leads to kind of destruction and new ways of things being done with different companies. And so you have companies that get taken out because of competitors or because of that unsystematic risk that's maybe unique to that company. Mm -hmm. Well, if you own the market as a whole, there are going to be winners and losers, but by owning all of them, the market as a whole is advancing. Society as a whole is advancing. But it means that certain companies and even industries sometimes are destroyed through that process. Yes. So just understanding that that is why we diversify. And we talk about this all the time, but we don't diversify because we want to play it safe and you know not make too much money. We diversify because we want to grow our money as mm-hmm. much as possible. And it just so happens that doing that is also the safest way, all things considered, to do so.
0: Yeah, it's the most pragmatic way, exactly. Yeah. And it seems as though, and we kind of alluded to it in an episode or two ago about the length of time companies sit inside of these indexes, it seems like the creative destruction is happening on a faster and faster basis.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. And so as you look at that, it's easy to get nervous about that. Of, oh my gosh, is this company going to be here, or not be here? Well, if you diversify, if you own the index, you're constantly owning the things that yes, for unfortunately being competed out or destroyed on the way out, but you're also owning the things that are the competitor, the things that are replacing them and displacing them. So you are owning all of it and capturing all of it.
0: So I kind of back to Alyssa's question. I would just want to know what percentage of my wealth am I okay investing in my own company? If it were to be cut in half or were to be cut to zero, how would that affect me? Right. Would it dramatically change my outcome? Mm -hmm. If it would, I might want to think twice about the percentage that I have. Right. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, yeah, I think the thing that we often say is when you are... So right, she has 8% in her 401k. And then she also has an IRA that's diversified in a personal brokerage account where there's other stocks. So I don't know the size of her 401k versus her other assets. Exactly. But probably not more than 4 to 5% total, maybe, in company stock, if I had to just take wild guess. So to me, it doesn't strike me as a wildly disproportionate amount in company stock. But what will also say a lot is that the company that you're invested in is also the company that pays your paycheck. Yes. So something goes seriously wrong with that company. Not only are you probably maybe losing a decent chunk of your investment in that stock, you also might be losing an income and benefits and a job. So how much are you willing to tie up in the fate of one company? So overall, as I said, like it's probably not such a large amount that jumps out to us as a serious red flag, but ask what's there for. You just want invested interest in your company. Awesome. Is it because you want to outperform the market? Just consider that odds are probably that you'll underperform rather than outperform based upon how this tends to go over time.
0: Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's one little tiny benefit to it being in the 401k. You might get to use what's called net unrealized appreciation could be a potential thing for you. So look into that if you take this through to retirement. Yeah. But yeah, other than that, I fully agree. Concentration risk is something that we constantly worry about for clients
1: yeah yeah absolutely but Alyssa thank you for the question I think it was a good chance for us to unpack that a little bit yeah anything else that's it where can people find you
0: they can find me at stonestepsfinancial.com and at twitter at scott underscore r underscore
1: frank scott underscore r what's your middle name robert robert three yeah, first names scott robert frank mm-hmm. wow yeah that's watch a out fun fact mm-hmm. okay Cool. And I am at RootFinancialPartners.com and on YouTube at Root Financial Partners. Awesome. Easy enough. Cool. Well, thanks, Scott. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. There's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.